Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. Turn with me there to chapter number 1. Brother Tucker, I'm going to miss that singing of yours. You sing from your heart, and I appreciate it, man. It does something for me. I'm going to have to get Brother Kevin to turn his volume up just a little bit. If he decides to sit right there, he's going to have to work on that just a little bit. All right? If he wants to use um, some of those rooms back there, he's going to have to pay a price. He's going to have to raise that volume in his singing. Romans chapter number 1. Before we read our text this morning, I want you to consider some things about the Lord Himself and the very nature of the one and the true and living God. According to Romans chapter number 11, He is both good, full of goodness. On the other side, He is very severe. When you read the book of Deuteronomy, you see how good He is in the promises of the blessings if they would follow Him, stay close to Him, obey Him. God would just, I mean, just pour blessings upon them in war and in weather and in prosperity, and their families. But boy, he said, if you turn your back on me, and boy, when you read those curses, they are awful. The severity of God is, uh, is to be feared and to be avoided at all costs. One thing that you know about today's society and the religious fever that is going around the globe is the fact that they never mention the severity of God. They misrepresent the Lord is what they do. And so you need to understand that God is good and He is severe. But I want to say something to you also about His goodness. Concerning His goodness, the Bible says, and this is connected to worship and the value of true worship. I hope you came this morning and made an effort when you got here to have your mind and your heart clear through prayer And then you picked up your songbook and you sincerely said some of those words toward heaven. Because when you do that, it is like like incense that goes up to the Lord. And He looks down and He hears that and He smells that. And what He looks for is sincerity and faith in what you're saying and what you're doing. He doesn't want us to draw nigh to Him with our lips, but our hearts to be very far away from Him. He doesn't want us to say I love you when our mind and our heart and our thoughts are totally somewhere else. He's not interested in that. He wants my heart, my mind, and my will engaged. And so when you read in the book of Genesis, the Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 31 says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was Very good. Very good. And so when you go all the way through through the Bible and you get to the end of the book, the book of Revelation says, concerning the Lord, He said, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. That's worship. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Our very existence this morning is for God. Is for God. He created man for fellowship. Fellowship. He created us to have communion with Him. And for us to worship Him. Now I use the term worship because that means that Everything that God made back in the garden, everything that God wanted done, everything that He expected of Adam was good for Adam. Worship glorifies God, but it is good for us. Now, I want you to see how critical this is when we get to Romans chapter number 1. Because when you move away from worshiping the true God you began to decline in all areas of your life. and Because the God that you worship is the God that you become like. Man will form his idols, but it won't be long until his idols begin to form him. 
That is why it is critical that you worship the true God in the right way. It is essential. Listen, you don't worship the Lord for what you can get out of it. You worship the Lord for what you can give back to Him. If a man gives because of how it pays, it probably won't pay. But if you will worship the Lord because He is worthy, there are benefits to that. But your motive can't be for the benefits. It has to be because He is worthy. Because sometimes you'll be worshiping Him when your heart's broken and you can't see any of the benefits at the present. You can ask Job about that. When Job's heart was completely broken and his family had been wiped out and his business had been wiped out and his health was falling apart, the Bible says that he took the time to prepare himself. The reason I know it took him time, it was premeditated because he, he shaved himself and uh, he built an altar and offered a sacrifice and he worshipped. The Bible says he worshipped the Lord. That, you know, when you're thinking about shaving, usually when we're shaving in the mirror, we're thinking about something. And so he's thinking about all the things that he had that's no longer in his possession. His precious children that he prayed for every day. His possessions that made him one of the richest men on the planet. His health, no doubt that had been robust. And he had none of that. And yet, in that moment and in that season, he said, my God is still worthy to be worshipped. And so he did. He worshipped the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. I wonder how fickle our worship is. I wonder if when we get here on Sunday morning, it all depends on our mood and how the week went. Or do we actually believe that God is worthy of our worship regardless of how the week has gone? Because, man, weeks are up and weeks are down, aren't they? I mean, moments of life. But God is worthy. And listen, the reason I'm saying this is because, listen, worship, it glorifies God, but it keeps you connected. And it keeps you out of great danger. And it keeps you away from really serious declines into depravity that you never intended to go toward. You need to stay connected in worship to God. When I say that here concerning this, worship glorifies Him, and when we do it sincerely, surely God does demand it. He even commands it. Why would He do that? Is it because He is so egotistical and selfish? Or is it because He is love and He knows that it's good for us if we'll do it? So when He made man and put him in the garden, one of the things that God wanted him to do was commune with Him, fellowship with Him, and worship Him. At that time, there was no need before the fall for a sacrifice because there was no sin. And so they had that communion. We were made by God and we were made for God. Please get that into your heart and into your mind. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He says, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him. And bless His name. The psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. I like this psalm. He said, O magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. Talking about the goodness of God, you know what the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes. It said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When you talk about His commandments, Jesus said there were two that all the law and all the prophets hung upon. So you could take all of that and put it together in two commandments. That you were to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. 
My friend, that is your worship toward God. And he said the second one is that you would love your neighbor as yourself. This direction first will affect everything else in this direction. And God knew that both of those would be good for us and glorify Him. But then you think about the severity of God. In that same book of Ecclesiastes, He said, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Does God know your thoughts? Oh, yes, He does. The Word of God says, The Lord said for you and me that thou shalt have no other gods before me. That meant no images, no worship, no service. Why? The Bible says, I am the Lord. And He said, I I confess to you, I am a jealous God. And He will not share His worship with anything or anybody. He won't do it. So I want you to read this text with me carefully. Romans chapter number 1, picking up in verse number 14. Let's read through these verses and let me comment on them and I want to help you today if I possibly can. When it comes to worshiping the true God. Romans chapter 1 verse number 14 says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Under salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you mark in your Bibles, or if you highlight words or verses, I would encourage you, when I speak to you about a particular word, that you would underline it or pay close attention to it at least this morning. In these next several verses. And how critical worship is and how that when you move away from it, what it does to you. Look at verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. You notice that word revealed. From faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He said, for the wrath of God, there's another word, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God, there's this word manifest is manifest in them, for God hath, there's the word, showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world, underlined clearly seen, being underlined understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they... Notice this phrase, glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fooled. Do you see the decline here? Verse 23 says, And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image, made like to corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts and dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served because worship and service go together. Who you worship is what you serve. Worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Idolatry and the road down depravity begins when we exchange the truth for a lie. Before there was ever an image formed, there was an imagination at work. God is not who you imagine Him to be in your mind. He is who the Bible declares Him to be. Listen, I want you to think with me about, travel with me through time. And idolatry began actually in the garden. It is, and listen, there was no image. All idols are not made of wood and clay and iron and gold. Really, that just represents what's going on here. 
and here. Idolatry began in the garden because when we ignore God and His truth, we begin at that moment, by default, to imagine how things might be on the other side of what God has said. She was unthankful for what God had given to her. When the adversary came and made suggestions, her decision was based upon the fact that maybe there's more and what I have is not enough to satisfy me. She had the attitude that it appears as if God might be holding back on me. She exchanged the truth for a lie. Do you understand? She exchanged the truth for a lie. Verse 25. You start down the road of idolatry when you change the truth of God into a lie. She was deceived. She exchanged the truth for a lie, but Adam exchanged God for her. Outside the garden, on the, on the other side of the fall, we see two men coming to worship the Lord. Now things had changed. Now it was required of them to bring a blood sacrifice to atone for their sins. Sin has to be dealt with before we can truly worship the Lord. It has to at least be acknowledged and confessed and dealt with. If I'm going to worship the Lord this morning, I come, and one of our songs implied it and said it, in the righteousness that has been imputed to me. I come in the righteousness of Christ. I'm unworthy to come before Him. But Cain had his own idea of how to worship and come before the Lord. You understand? He had his own idea. It started in his mind. He had no image, Brother Lewis, but he, he had his own idea of how he was going to worship the Lord. And he felt like, well, sincerity, if I worship the true God, my way, but I'm sincere, God has to accept it. There's a movie actor, Hollywood movie actor by the name of Mark Wahlberg. Famous actor, Catholic, had the, the ashes on his head this past week. And here's what he said. He said, God is the only one that continues to promote nothing but love and inclusion, forgiveness and acceptance no matter who you are or what your beliefs are. You might want to ask Cain that. Because God said, uh, no, sir. What you have brought to me is unacceptable to me. You will not be included in worship today until you deal with sin in the correct manner. His own religion doesn't even believe what he said. I promise you that. But I want to say to you that we have to to pay close attention about the Lord, His own ideas, worshiping the true God in His own way. And, And a lot of folks have got this philosophy that, hey, as long as I'm sincere, God will accept what I do and how I am. And that's simply not true. God rejected Cain. And to approach God without dealing with sin first, through a blood sacrifice, is unacceptable to God. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, he did this, believing that this is what God required. On the other side of the flood, Noah and his three sons got off of that boat, that ship, and they knew how to worship. Noah built an altar, and they knew what God required because they set aside certain kind of clean animals to be sacrificed on the other side of the flood to be offered up unto God to be acceptable. So Noah understood what God would require of him, and he was prepared for that. The altar was built, the offering was made, and the worship was accepted. Job knew how to worship the Lord back in those days. He knew what God required. Even the times that he would 
go before God to intercede for His children. The Bible says He would offer up these sacrifices before He interceded for His children. Abraham, he knew how to worship God in a land full of idols. He knew that there was one true God. He knew that. But my point this morning here is is that idolatry can be much more, but can include, it's much more than bowing before an image. I want you to note the digression here. The Bible says, notice what it says here in verse number 21. It has happened to man in general throughout history. It has happened to nations. It has happened to individuals. Verse 21 says, When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. That means they refused to worship Him. They rejected obvious light. They were unthankful. And they began to digress into more depravity. The Bible says, you'll notice carefully, they were neither thankful, but it says in verse number 21, Brother Lauren, it says, but became. That's progression. Or should I say digression? Nobody in his right mind intends to ever wind up in solitary confinement in prison because maybe he has murdered someone. Maybe he has become a pedophile. Maybe he has raped someone. Maybe he has done some very vile and violent things. I don't think that he ever intended as a 12-year-old boy or an 18-year-old young man to go down that route. But they become this way. When you reject light... And you turn away from God, you will head in a direction that you never intended to go. Do you understand that? I've watched church members who begin to fade away from God. It will impact their moral life. And it always does, and that's what the Bible says here. They became vain and foolish because of these things. And you'll notice... When I say they rejected light, verse 18 says, but the wrath of God is revealed. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And, and they saw that which was manifest by God and that which was clearly seen. But they came vain and foolish and they began to worship the creature more than the Lord. I want to say again this morning, idolatry is much more than images. I don't think anybody in this room goes home and bows before some kind of image. And saying that, you know, and, and begin to give them incense or prayer. And that's not what you talk to in the morning when you get up. God doesn't even want you to try to imagine what He looks like. He left no picture. He left no image. If He did, that'd be, that stuff would be everywhere on the planet. You say, oh yeah, I know what Jesus looked like. I got a picture of Him in the house. Really. You're not that naive, are you? Nobody knows what the Lord Jesus looked like. And, if, and by the way, the Bible says that there was nothing about Him and His appearance that He would be desired for His beauty. Right, right. Idolatry is much more than images. You see, when you begin to worship the Lord, there's a couple of words that are synonymous with idolatry in the Bible. Do you know what they are? Two words in particular that are used in the Bible... One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament that are synonymous with somebody who has stopped worshiping God and who is an idolater. In the Old Testament, the word is stubborn. It means that you are stubborn and you are self-willed and you have chosen to go your own route rather than God's route. The other word in the New Testament is the word covetousness. And it is when you believe that God cannot satisfy you. And that following Him and serving Him is not enough. And so you have to have more, even if you have to take it away from somebody else, in order to satisfy yourself. You are no longer worshiping the true God. You are now 
worshiping the creature, which might be you, your own self, and going your own route. This thing about being what is going on inside of us. You know, the Bible says that strongholds in our imagination are really like idols. We begin to change the truth of God into a lie and begin to believe something that is not so. And so then we begin to make our decisions based upon what we're thinking in our minds. That is critical. The Bible says you're to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When we ignore or reject truth. Daniel, I appreciate you sitting on the front pew. You got your notebook out. You take notes. I appreciate you young men who take notes during the, during the services. And I know part of that is your Wednesday night program. I appreciate that. But it is critical that you do more than sit. It is critical that you engage. It is critical that you receive truth, that you believe truth, and you act upon the truth. You engage yourself with the living God. Other than that, it just becomes information. You, You can have, there are kids who have walked away from God that have got notebook full of sermon notes. And it hurts me when I see that because what it means is, is, that, is that you were exposed to the truth, but somewhere along the line, you felt like that that did not satisfy you and you began to exchange the truth that you were hearing for something that you now believe in your mind that is better. And you're replacing the true and the living God. And we can all do this. Now here's what happens. This is the, prog- the digression here. When we ignore or reject truth, We, by default, exchange truth for a lie. Because you believe something. You say, I don't believe anything. No, you believe something. You make your decisions based upon something. And we can all go into the compass making business. And we can all form our own compass. But I'd like to have somebody that knows how to make the right kind of compass. So that I know for sure which way is north. Not just your opinion of which way is north. Or how you feel about which way is north. This Bible is the compass. By default, when you walk away from light towards a stream, you begin to walk away toward a stream of depravity and decadence that you never intended To engage in. And according to Romans chapter number 1. It will affect your morality. He says in verse number 26. When you stop worshiping God. And you begin to believe things that are not so. You begin to base your decisions upon things that are not true. He said God will give you up to vile affections. I need God. I don't trust me. My spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. And it's, it, it's like if I were... It's like if I were behind a, this huge tanker in the intercoastal canal, and the tide is very strong. And I've got my rope tied to the back of that tanker. And I'm in a kayak. And if as long as I'm behind that big tank... That tanker, and it's moving against the tide, and it's carrying me where I want to go, and I'm hanging on with that rope. I'm making progress. But when I turn loose of it, the tide is so strong that no matter how much I row, I just keep seeing the slipping and slipping and slipping and slipping. And when you come here and you stop worshiping God as a young man or a young lady, you'll start slipping. When somebody offers you a can of beer to be cool, you'll take it. Whereas had you been engaged with God on Sunday morning, your heart would be more tender about what would be good for you. 
Somebody offers you some drugs. Or somebody introduces you to pornography. Or somebody tries to get you engaged in an immoral relationship that you would never have even dreamed of getting engaged in. Yeah, you begin to slip a little bit because you think you can handle it. When you start ceasing to be engaged, no matter if you're 50 or 15, you're like that guy in that kayak. Oh yeah, you're trying, but you're not going to be able to outdo the tide. It's going to be pushing you back. That's right. That's right. I promise you that. Amen. Notice what he says here in verse number 26. Listen, I didn't write this, but I believe it. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. In verse 26, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. It is natural. It is nature. It is natural for a young man to be attracted to a young lady. And for a young lady to be attracted to a young man, it is unnatural for a young lady to be attracted to a young lady. I'm not saying that you may not, that kids don't get involved in things that are stupid and experience. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that when it becomes a pattern of your life. And then when a young man is, is interested in a young man, there's, it's unnatural. According to Ephesians 4, your mind becomes darkened. You can't think right. God keeps my mind thinking clear. The Bible says here in verse 27, And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. And America has begun to turn her back upon the Lord. And you see the decadence in our society. You see the depravity. And before you blame the White House or before you blame other folks, it begins with us. And worshiping the true and the living God, judgment begins with us. I don't trust myself, but I do trust the Lord. I need Him to keep me going in the right direction. I want you to think about some of the things that you think in your mind that have become gods in America. Let me hit just a couple of them real quick and then we'll close this message down. There is the God of materialism in America. Biblically, the phrase is this, Brother Scott, it is lovers of possessions more than lovers of God. People are killed, kill their loved ones for their life insurance policies. People kill other people for their tennis shoes. People will rob you and take your life and cut your throat for your cash or your car. Because they believe that materialism is what will satisfy them and make them happy. People lie and steal at all realms of life for materialism. You think you have to have certain things in order to be satisfied. But if you had to go back to the 30s and 40s when the the stock market came and World War II came, you'd find you could live on a lot less and be happy. It's a fact. We may face that again. But there were some men that would rather jump out the, the fifth floor of a building than live without materials and possessions. They, they did that, right and left. Then there is this term, the idol, I call it hedonism. The Bible says these people are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And God is not against pleasure in its rightful places. And they believe that only pleasure has worth in this life. And then there is the God of modernism, where that truth has become outdated and it makes people uncomfortable and unpopular, so you have to change the book and then you become inclusive of all the other gods of the world for ecumenicalism. And I'm just telling you, God is not for that. You're looking to be included. There are people who want to have a religious feeling, but they don't want to be right with God because God is inclusive if you'll follow Him and do what's right. He is exclusive if you walk away from Him and do not do what He says. 
I don't want to have to apologize, and I don't for the apologize for the fact that Christianity and following God and knowing the true God is a very narrow path. Straight is the way. That means narrow. And few there be that find it. And he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many therein that that follow it. I don't want to be in that path. Then there is humanism, where we are little gods. And I think one of the major ones in America is what I call intellectualism. Where that human thought in higher education, really the college campuses have been the worship services. Because when a kid grows up in church and he learns the Word of God and he learns about the true God, he goes to these other worship centers on these college campuses and they deny the very existence of the God that they heard about. And they challenge every philosophy that the Bible teaches. And then kids are saying, well, listen, he's got a Ph.D., and the brother Roger doesn't, and neither does some of the men that teach me class, and they're smarter than they are, so I think maybe they might know more about life than the Bible and what God does, and man, that's a, that's a mistake. Right. If that were to be the fact, when Jesus came and died for us on the cross, He would have established, established college campuses and not churches. If you walk away from God, did you know that God will choose your delusion? You will. So what to do? Let's close this real quick. Look in Romans chapter 1 with me, please. What to do about this? I will encourage you to acknowledge what has already been revealed. I want you to acknowledge it. That's all I'm asking you to do. What's been revealed? All right. I mean, listen, some of these things I'm going to talk about, you don't even have to have a Bible to see this. There hasn't always been a Bible. There hasn't always been printed Bibles, and there are people around the globe who have no Bibles. And yet they can find God. If they'll respond to the light that God gives them, acknowledge what is revealed. For example, look in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. These are things that are obvious, young men and young ladies. I call this the curse. The curse is obvious on this planet. You know why a woman suffers so much in childbirth? It is because of the wrath of God. Before there were hospitals in every city and doctors on every corner, when a woman would go into childbirth, For thousands of years, she went into great danger for her life. Many women perished giving childbirth. Many children died in their infancy. You say, why? Because it is part of the wrath of God that He poured upon this earth. He told Eve, you're going to have a baby, but you're going to have it with sorrow. It is part of the curse. It is obvious that God, the Bible is true. The wrath of God, and not only that, ladies, but the lordship of your husband over you is part of the curse. Some of you are much smarter than your husbands. Well, I hate saying that. But it is true. But he didn't put you in charge. Part of the curse, is, if you want to be right with God, is yielding to the lordship of your husband. And you'll wrestle with that. And you'll struggle with that. Many of you will for your entire marriage. Until you yield yourself to God. And God will help you ease up some of that curse on you. He will. And then for men. Rigorous labor. Your entire life you'll work. You'll get tired. You'll get weary. The garden work was not a curse. It was a blessing. They were not thorns and thistles, and the earth was not resisting His effort to bring forth fruit. But after the garden and after the fall, the struggle, the sweat of your brow, the concern to provide for your family. Not only that, fellas, but the curse of God is obvious and seen because we're responsible for death on this planet. Everywhere you go is death and disease. This planet itself, the very globe itself, the very earth itself, 
is rocking to and fro as if it is angry waiting for its redemption. This earth is a dangerous place to live, and no matter where you are, it can take your life in a heartbeat. It wasn't that way. It is now. It's part of the curse. When you see the floods, when you see the tornadoes, when you see the things that occur on the planet, this is part, obviously, of the curse of God upon this planet. The wrath of God upon this planet. The second thing that I want to mention to you is found over in chapter number 2, and it has to do with the conscience of man. This is obvious. We are not animals. No matter what the higher learning worship centers say, we are not animals. And how did God, one of the things that God did to separate us from animals is He breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living soul. And God put that spirit in man and God gave us a conscience. A conscience separates you from the animal kingdom. Now animals can be trained in their behavior, but they have no conscience. They have no conscience. But you do. And you've got to live with it. There are people who hang themselves because of their conscience. That's right. Because of the guilt. Because of the shame. Where does shame come from? It comes from. Where does the, where, where does the uh, what am I looking for? The blushing come from? It comes from your conscience. Where does that guilt come from? It comes from what God placed in you. And what it will do is it will accuse you or it will excuse you. It is court every day you're making decisions based upon some of the things that your conscience tells you what to do. If somebody leaves their their purse right here this morning and everybody's gone and you find their purse, you've got to make a decision. You open it up and there's $1,000 cash in it. You've got to make a decision right then and your conscience saved or lost. Your conscience is going to say, you know what, that doesn't belong to you. I don't know who it belongs to, but I know it doesn't belong to me. And there are lost people out there who give records and reports of finding cash on the street and they are in a billfold and they find the guy and his driver's license and they turn it back in, not because they're Christians, but because they obeyed their conscience. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. In every tribe, in every jungle, in every city. It is revealed. Acknowledge that. This is part of the this is part of God showing you Himself. And then there is creation itself. Verse 20. It says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Let me give you a couple illustrations of this. Okay? Let's say, for example, that you were on a ship, it wrecked, you wound up on this little bitty island. Okay, man, I hate to fi- use a clock because it's five minutes after 12. Y'all going to know what time it is. <laughs> Let's say you washed up on the island and there's just a couple of palm trees there, coconuts hanging down from, I think it come off of palm trees. And there's no, nothing and nobody. And so, but you find this leaned against one of the palm trees. All right, this is a painting. All right, in, with your mind and common sense, and not everybody has common sense, what would that tell you? When you saw that, what would it tell you? Sir? Someone painted that. So you're saying there's an artist? You, you don't think that the ocean waves threw a bunch of colors and paint up against a, a piece of wood? Even though that it, this is Brother Kenny Johnson's artwork, by the way. This is what he gave me when I was laid up. I appreciate him for it. You know what? When I see that, I think about the artist. In my mind, I know there, if I see a painting, I know there has to be an artist. I'm not stupid. I don't have to have a Ph.D. to be washed up on an island and I see a painting. I see, I know somebody's been here. Right? And, and you know, I, it doesn't matter how many ships passed by and wrecked and threw the wood up on the shoreline and threw buckets of paint up on the shoreline. There's no way in a million years that it did this. 
Right? Okay. So, the same thing. It, and then this was up against the other tree. This thing is moving, and it's keeping time, and it's staying exactly with the sun. It's moving as the sun moves through the sky. It's moving with it. Now, I'm wondering if a bunch of parts off of a wrecked ship bumped against each other and came together to form this. Or do I have enough sense to understand that if I see a clock, there must be a clock maker? Correct? A simple illustration, I know that. But we're simple sometimes ourselves, but I do want you to understand this. God has revealed Himself in a marvelous manner. Man, when you look at the stars and how that they move around the planet and they are faithful. And when you consider the tides and when you consider the sun getting up and its degrees of certain times of the seasons of the year. And man, listen, I can buy a fishing magazine, Brother Lorne, that will tell me when the tide is going to be high two months from now. And I can plan, this is the day I'm going fishing. It shows lunar activity and says, this is the hours the fish are going to bite. And they're focusing that upon the pull of the moon because it is faithful. Are you telling me that all that came out of a big bang? It's clearly seen. What you're saying is, if I have to acknowledge that there's a God, then you're going to hold me accountable for my behavior. And my choices. When I see these things that I've just told you about, and it says right here, and I'm closing right here in verse number 20, they're clearly seen and they're understood. Somebody made that clock. Somebody painted that painting. Oh, Lord, my God. When I, in awesome wonder... Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe is displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. The last thing is in chapter 1, verse number 14, and that is the cross. I've never seen the cross. But I heard about the cross. And what I have seen in the curse, and in my conscience, and the guilt that I feel, and the fact that there is a maker, and I've heard the message of the cross, there is something about that message that resounded deep into my soul when I heard it. That there was a cure for my guilt. That there was a maker who who loved me enough to come down to the planet and through His own Son reconcile me unto Himself through the death of His Son. The message of the cross. Look in verse number 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, And also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. For me to be drawn back to God, to be able to worship Him, and for worship to be restored in my life, a relationship with God has to be reestablished. And to approach God, I must have a sufficient sacrifice. There are no more buildings or places to go where I can offer up an animal to be right with God in worship. Jesus became the revealed and needed righteousness of God on the cross. And Jesus said, No man can come unto the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe that? Now, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, please. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to quote you that verse, but I want you to turn to one more verse and we'll pray. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. God is interested in you. God does love you.
And God will work through circumstances in your life to bring you underneath the sound of the gospel. If you will acknowledge what has already been revealed, He'll reveal some things to you that you have not known. How many of you were with, like me when I was just a kid, 18? I knew there was a God, but I didn't know how to find Him. But He knew how to find me. And He knew that I had responded to the light that He had already given in God. And I was looking for peace, and God introduced me to the gospel of peace. Look in chapter 1, verse 9 and verse number 10. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For He hath made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Look in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. It says, for this, this is the group of people that got saved in Thessalonica. He said, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve. Worship comes before service. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Have you turned from your idols to serve, worship, and serve the true and the living God? What are you hanging on to? What are you holding on to? What are you counting on? Are you turning your back on what is obvious? You acknowledge what is clearly revealed. And you pursue to worship the true and living God. In order to do that, you must come to Christ. You must come to Christ. He is God's revealed righteousness. He is God's substitute for you. You can be reconciled to God. You can be saved and forgiven of all your transgressions. And you can come to church on Sunday morning and you can worship God with a clear conscience. That you are right with God. Arise my soul arise. Cast off thy guilty fears. A bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together please with our heads bowed. Let's take just a moment for an invitation. Would you need to come maybe and get back up closer to God? Or maybe you need to come and get saved. Maybe you need to come and give your heart to Jesus Christ and turn from your idols and what you felt like would satisfy you. Maybe you need to come and give your heart to Him. Why don't you respond to the working of the Spirit of God and the prodding of His Spirit into your heart this morning as my dear wife plays. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, may Your will be done in this invitation. In Christ's holy name, amen.